Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Everybody, this is Building Excellence, and welcome back to the show. I've got Pace with me. Uh, Pace, I've known Pace for a long time. He's known me for a long time, and I'm just really excited to have you on the show and talk about your experiences. And one of the things we want to get to is just kind of give us some depth into your story. What was it like growing up, and, and how did it start for you? Yeah, that's some depth. All right. Yeah. Um, so I grew up uh, in a mixed family. Uh, um, I was the I was the ingredient that made it mixed. Um, so uh, there's a family that basically grew up in a small town. It's predominantly white. I mean, ninety nine point nine percent white country type uh, small school environment. And uh, then I came along, and so. Uh, Growing up there could be a bit of a challenge, you know. Later on in life, I used to hear people that grew up in like rough areas of the city and things mm-hmm. of that nature, and and um, I used to remember thinking when they were talking about how rough some of those city-like environments were. Yeah, I was like, yeah, try and do it, and try doing it alone. Yeah, and yeah. so I was in a situation where um, I I would come up against you know common. Know, biases and and you know little racial slurs and things of that nature mm-hmm. and then the people at home looked just like the people that I was dealing with that at, at school mm-hmm. and so um, I kept a lot of that quiet and kept it to myself because um, the things that were being said weren't things that I ever cared to repeat mm-hmm. and it wasn't anything that I experienced at home mm-hmm. so Obviously, those that was my family, and so home was a uh, safe haven for me. And um, growing up in that type of environment, I, I learned, even though um, I dealt with things like that, I learned about the diversity of of, of mankind. So mm. um, there's people that I grew up with that were absolutely just fantastic, sweet, loving people. There were people that were kind of on the fence, and then there were people who just absolutely ridiculously. Sure. Just stay away, you know, yeah, yeah. and just try to keep as much distance between me and them as possible because there was no changing their minds about you know who I was as a person. Um, growing up, I was a uh, a, a good student. Um, I was an A and B student. I didn't overly stress out about um, getting A's because that wasn't my major focus. Um, I was really good and got A's in classes that I was interested in and I would get B's in classes that I had to work on. I uh, never was a math guy, so I had to work really hard on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading comprehension, which what we previously spoke about before we started was was a, a struggle for me because it was mandatory to read through a certain amount so, of whatever. Yeah, yeah and I don't nice. like I don't read that way. I yeah. read in segments. Yeah. And um the uh there were some teachers that were good old fashioned down home 
got to do this, 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 this. Yeah. Then you had the other ones that were a little bit more laid back. And so it was a, it was a challenging environment, um, where you kind of felt like you were on a, on an Island a Uh lot. Um, simple things like this was a big one. Um, I'm a top level athlete at the school. I'm a, I'm a good student. Uh, I had, we didn't have money for like glasses and stuff like that. So I, I couldn't see far. So I always sat in the front of the classroom and everybody thought I sat front row center cause I'm trying to be a, a really good student when really I couldn't see the board. Yeah. So I sat closer so I could see the board and that's just, I tend to stay out of trouble that goes on in the back of the room, not being able to concentrate and pay attention. So it was just me and the teacher in the front, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, there's all these good things about me. Never been in trouble. I didn't experiment with alcohol. I didn't experiment with drugs ever in my life. Mm-hmm. I didn't experiment with those things. Those things were not good. My parents told me that's not what you want to deal with. And um, I had seen uh, examples of it. It didn't look good to me. And so the uh, concept of just being a good person is more my nature. Yeah. But... In that type of environment, I had noticed a lot of times it didn't really matter that I was a good person. And um, when you have nothing around you but, you know, white girls, for instance, Mm -hmm. when uh, that dating and, you know, the courting and the, you know, I'm interested in you and, you know, the flirting, that kind of stuff happened, that would come to a halt a lot of times. Like parents were like, no. Really? And uh, I grew up with that for quite quite a while. I think I was around 15 before... A guy moved his family to town, had this really cute little basketball playing blonde, and um, she took interest in me, which was foreign to me. And uh, her father was, they were from a different state. Mm-hmm. They had moved here, and, and it was a little more, um, they were a little more forgiving in those natures. Like he just wanted a, a good kid mm-hmm. to be around his daughter. And uh, I happened to be a good kid, and she was interested in me, and so that was my first real girlfriend. Yeah. In uh, at the age of fifteen. Yeah. So what did you feel like? I mean, through up until fifteen, you have to deal with all that stuff. I mean, you still had to deal with it, but what yeah. was that? I mean, you had no one to go to. You felt like, how did how did you feel throughout that? And, and was there anybody that you could, I don't know, vent with? Uh, no, I mean, well, later on, uh, a, a, another family had come in. Uh, it's funny because the, uh, girl that I'm talking about, her father was the warden at the prison. And, um, so he, he worked in a diverse mm-hmm. type of environment to be a warden at the prison. And, um, as long as I was a good guy, he treated me with respect sure. and, and the mom was, was, uh, super nice. And, um, they, they invited me over and took me to church and, it was just a completely different world for me. And so that's a group of people that I could talk to. And then uh, another friend of mine, he moved in in eighth grade. Well, this is a all black family. And his father was a warden, the deputy warden. And uh, so I immediately kind of cling to him because he was kind of cool, you know, and he had the kid and play box haircut. And <laughs> and he was, I knew what the the environment was like. So I befriended him, and uh, we were still close best friends to this day. And so uh, that was somebody to vent to. I mean, really vent to because that was a black family. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's still not 
within the completion of their understanding what I was going through being a mixed kid mm. growing up in a white environment yeah. with a white family. So when I was a kid, I literally was uh, kicked out of Cub Scouts because I showed up. And my, my pops didn't, he told me this after I was 30 years old. I didn't know why I didn't get to go to Cub Scouts. So all of my buddies, we were doing Cub Scouts. And then uh, we'd walk down to the church after, after school. And I went in and everybody was getting a handout, like their gear and all that stuff. And then he said, I'm sorry, I don't have anything for you. And so my pops uh, had come to me and said, hey, you're going to go to Cub Scouts, but you're going to go in a neighboring town. And I was like, okay. So at, after school, my friends walk and go to the Cub Scout, to the church where they had the Cub Scout meeting. I had to walk past the church and go down to my Aunt Tilly's house. And then she would take me over across the bridge to the other town. And I went to Cub Scouts there. Mm-hmm. And I found out after I was 30 years old, my pop said that uh, yeah, the scout leader didn't want you on the team because you were half black. Really? <laughs> on not the team, but on the in the in the Cub Scouts. In the Cub Scouts. Yeah. And uh I had never known that. I was a young kid. I was, you know, Cub Scout age. Yeah. And uh I had never known that until he had told me that uh later on down the road. And um when I was sixteen, I had made it on uh Oklahoma Panthers basketball AAU team. Mm-hmm. And we were on our way back from Tulsa, actually heading back after a tournament, had a really good tournament, and um, we were heading back. And one of the guys on the team said, hey, Pace, why are you so light-skinned? And one of the other guys said, "His, did you have somebody in your family that's white? And I said, yeah, my whole family's white. And they were like, what do you mean your whole family? I said, my whole family's white. The head coach's head snaps around and he looks at me. He says, somebody in your family's white? And I said, yes, my mom's white. And then he just, I remember he just looks back forward. So that next week during practice, the bus doesn't come to pick me up. And the following week doesn't come to pick me up. Really? Or the following session doesn't come to pick me up. And then... My mom was calling up there to the coach, and he's not answering. She goes, I don't know what to do, son. Like, he's not answering. Fast forward, freshman year of college. I walk on campus, play basketball for St. Gregory's University. And I see two guys that look familiar to me, and they're like, oh, man. It's the big, light-skinned kid. You remember him? And he's like, yeah, we played ball together for one tournament. And I remember when he said that, I was like, that is Big Rob. And I can't remember the other kid's name now. But they were on the same basketball team that I was going to play for at St. Gregory's. Really? They had told me. They said, uh, I said, whatever happened? I, like, how come I, nobody picked me up anymore? Sure. He said, coach found out you were half white and just kind of just left you off the team. Really? So on both sides of the fence... Yeah, you had both sides coming at you. On both sides of the fence, I've I always thought that was really unique about adversity dealing with when you're a kid. When I was seven, eight years old, I'm kicked out of the Cub Scouts for being half black. And at uh, 16 years old, I'm kicked off of a basketball team for being half white. Yeah. So diversity was what I grew up with. 
And I had learned to, because of my experiences, what Martin Luther King had basically said was, you know, judge people by their the content of their character. Sure. And people, I can think of black and white and Native American uh, people, we're part Native American, um, that treated me amazing coming up. And I would rely on them as, for strength and uh, people that treated me like trash on both sides of the fence. Mm. And so it wasn't anything that, um, that there weren't lessons that I was seeking out. It was just forced upon me. Yeah. And you had to deal with it. You just deal with it. Yeah. How do you, how do you go through that? Cause I mean, I can't, I can't speak on that experience at all, but how do you go through that and not have any type of uh, grudge or envy towards, towards people? I think uh, it's. I think we do. I think we. I think it's a it built. It's it's based on our actions. That's one thing I can I can speak on. Your actions are going to dictate, you know, your outcomes. And I could easily. Mm-hmm. I could. I have those. I have those knee jerk reactions. You know, internally, when I feel like somebody's disrespecting me because of an inappropriate reason. Mm-hmm. But then my next action is what's going to determine the outcome of this situation. Mm-hmm. And do I, um, do I do this and, 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 and compound the issue or do I create space or deal with it directly or, you know, firmly, you know, I don't know, how, you know, when it comes down to it, um, I do feel those feelings as a human. I'm, I naturally feel that I try not to let those thoughts from, the past or experiences from the past muddy my future. Yeah, absolutely. If that makes sense. Yeah. So it's about making the good decision and trying to do the right thing, which is a challenge a mm-hmm. lot of times, but just do it. Yeah. And so you come from you come from this small town environment where you have a little of both on each side coming at you, but you have um, some great parents, right? Yeah. That were very influential in life. Talk about what they've done for you and, and how, you know, when you're going through those things, how you had uh, examples to uh, kind of um, raise you in the right direction and keep you keep you grounded. Well, we didn't have, uh, you know, humble beginnings, basically. We didn't have a lot. And um, we relied upon um, people that were close to us. So I grew up in a, I grew up in an environment that, um, was uh, family kind of relied on family. Mm-hmm. That's who you trusted. And uh, I didn't see a lot of my, my, I didn't see my parents spending a lot of time with like friends, you know, the family. Every time we had an event, um, it was with the family. We were always around people that, if that's where the trust was. And um, so I kind of started off that way. Um, I, used to, I used to have a lot of friends because like I said, anyone, that would just accept me for who I was, um, was a friend of mine, you know, and I felt like there was more safety in, in, in numbers that, mm-hmm. you know, so my, um, parents were non-smokers, non-drinkers. Um, whenever I had experienced something scary when I was a kid growing up in that type of environment, uh, I'd ask my parents about it. And my pops also, he was like, Oh, that's cause he's drunk. Yeah. You know, he, oh, that guy gets drunk and, there was a there was a uh, a time where we were out in the neighborhood in town and we were we lived out in the country but so I was in town with friends and um 
we were out playing on the streets. I think we were skateboarding or something. And I heard this. To this day, I can still hear the crack of the screen door. And um, I saw a uh, man and a woman in a domestic violence situation. And we were just standing in the street on the sidewalk. And uh, he beat her out of the house, through the screen door, out onto the porch, and down the steps. Mm. And we were frozen, you know. And then he went back in, and she's, I remember her crying, laying out on the sidewalk. And um, we ran off to go tell on him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it, was, it was scarring as a young man to see that as a, as a little kid. And um, I remember asking my pops, like, you know, why, why would he do that? And he's, he's like, oh, he was drunk. Really? And so I remember seeing some family members that would have, I never seen them drunk, but they would, you know, my, my grandparents would have like a, what they called a toddy or a, uh, or a beer, yeah. but they never drank lots of beer. It wasn't like sitting around drinking beer. It'd be like a sure. beer. I can think maybe five times I ever saw my grandpa have a beer, but I knew he drank beer. He just didn't drink it a lot. Mm-hmm. And so they were very responsible for the family members that I had that were, that I was around a lot. They were responsible when they drank. It was like one drink. Yeah. And so I'd seen some pretty violent things growing up and it was associated with that. With alcohol. And I was the type that kind of steered away from that. Yeah. So um, I had a very short uh, drinking career. Which was uh, when I turned 21, I went in, in college and I uh, went out and had drinks. And off and on for a couple of years through college, not regularly, but I'll go out and drink with friends. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple times I've gotten drunk and nothing ever good ever came of it. Yeah. So for the most part, having a beer, I'm okay with. Mm-hmm learned that from my family but like just getting inebriated getting drunk is not i'm not okay with that yeah so i may have on a year to year basis maybe two and a half 2.5 beers a year like, yeah. i just don't really have a lot but there might be an occasion where we're having a dinner and i have one with the dinner or something you know something mm-hmm. special yeah and uh i just keep it at bay it's not and it never really had an effect on me it just i never saw a whole lot of good things happen in those environments so you tried to yeah stay away from it so it was something that i was able to um you know my family didn't drink and it's we're not i didn't grow up around it Mm -hmm. so uh, that was a good thing about them something they taught me like there's not a lot of good things that happen there they still don't really drink yeah and so um just not having like making the most with what you got Mm -hmm. uh we would we were resourceful as kids and we didn't, we weren't going to get a bunch of toys. We weren't going to get all the latest and greatest technology, this, that, and the other. So you had to be creative. And, uh, we used to raid my pop's tool chest and we'd make ramps and we'd make, we'd tear stuff off. Like nobody's using this. We don't have, nobody uses this doghouse. We're going to turn it into a skateboard ramp, (laughs) you know, that kind of stuff. And and we kind of ask for forgiveness later, but you know, we get saws out and hammers and drills and we make stuff. And, um, we spent a lot of time outdoors. Um, we got a lot, we got really dirty when we were kids Mm -hmm. going, you know, like where you guys been? You know, I remember we had to have a special set of clothes and shoes to wear because we were going to get so dirty because we were out in the ponds and we were like, let's see if we can scale across this bridge. A lot of stupid things that we probably shouldn't have done, but we survived all of it. (laughs) 
And uh, our parents kind of encouraged us to look after ourselves, you mm-hmm. know. You'd be out away from the house, you know, several miles from home, and you'd injure yourself, and then you'd wrap it up and deal with it later. Mm-hmm. So there was a bit of toughness in growing up in the country that was instilled in us, and then and being resourceful and being creative, and that was kind of from our upbringing, how we were raised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, mom didn't like us being in the house, and two things we used to always get yelled at, stay out of the refrigerator and go outside. <laughs> so that's kind of how we grew up. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so you got... You got all these things that you were able to be a kid, yet at the same time you had to deal with maybe some racial tension on both sides. Oh, yeah. And so one thing that I think is is cool that it seems to me, but just being around you for, for a long time, a lot of people can use those things and say, you know, more of a victim mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like you used those things, and I don't know how it affects you today, but do you feel like those things and the things that you went through help you reach more kids, help them better themselves and and connect on a different level that maybe other people couldn't? Yes, especially in the training environment because um, we have kids that are quite uh, disruptive and they, they, they're, they're children who don't have all of this figured out, you know, they, none of us do. I'm still trying to figure out my stuff, you know, yeah. and, um, the the way your environment acts upon you can have a lot to say for what your future will be like. And um, I try to tell kids to be uh, tolerant of those who don't have it figured out and don't don't be a part of the problem. And if this kid comes in and he's on fire all the time, don't throw gasoline on it when you see him coming. Mm-hmm. And um, we had this one kid. He just, he, he's a fighter. He fights back and, uh, he will turn into a bear. And so we had a little saying in the gym because you knew when he came in, he was always on edge. He could pop at any moment. And the kids, when we'd see him walk in, we'd tell the kids around us, like, don't poke the bear. Yeah. And, um, they, they used to take joy because it's exciting and, uh, to get him riled up. But when it gets riled up now, I have to get involved and, um, some of those kids I have to like discipline, like you're the one riling him up. You go sit down. And then whenever they see that I'm on their side and that it's not always them that, uh, I tend to get a lot more, um, compliance from the group mm-hmm. and they understand that we're all there for the same thing. And we need to have a little bit more tolerance with other people and in, in their, the way they do things Yeah, and a little bit more understanding uh, as to why they may do that. Yeah, have some empathy. Have some empathy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I grew up in an environment where, like I said, there was there's two sides. And I didn't like this side over here, so I stayed away from it. And this side was more comforting. And so I would gain my strength from these these people over here. They would a little more forgiving of the fact that I happened to be born with color. Yeah, yeah. Pigmentation in my skin. <laughs> what a sinner, right? Yeah. And so... Um, those people gave me more of an opportunity to be more of a, an American teenager than, than anybody else and, mm-hmm. and an athlete and a, and a scholar and all that. So over here, there was nothing to do but to fight and you know, defend yourself all the time. And so mm-hmm. I just try to put distance between the good and the bad. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing too, is just, um, 
having to deal with something like that, that it was nothing that you did. It was just happened to be maybe a way you looked. Right. And Absolutely. there's nothing you can do to change that. Right. And there shouldn't be. I mean, it, it's, it's not a bad thing, but it's, I can't imagine having to go through that at such a young age and, and even as you, you know, progress in life. Now let's, tra- let's go back to a little bit of basketball because you played basketball in college. How did you start getting involved in sports and was it a good thing for you or, or what are the things you learned through sports and how did you get to St. Gregory's University? What I learned uh, from sports was that uh, being valuable can reward you with uh, security and safety. Mm. And uh, uh, I'll tell you a story. We, we were uh, coming out of eighth grade and we're going to high school. And we had found out that the high school guys would go to open the gym in the summertime and play pickup ball. We always played on the blacktop, us younger guys. And that were like, what? We can go to the gym during summer? And a uh, small town school. But anyways, uh, so we go down there and I, I walk in and I see all the high school kids, which is a stress point for me because that's like, who's, you know, these guys are bigger and stronger. And like, who's, who's going to be the one that's going to call me out. And it's just like trying to pinpoint who's dangerous and, and uh, how do I fold myself into this so we can just play basketball. I just want to play basketball, man. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a, a situation where there was an upcoming senior. He was a junior that summer, and he was going to be a senior next year. Scary guy. Uh, Johnny Brown. And he was a baller. He was good. He's big and scary and funny. Mm. And uh, he's a funny guy. He had great personality. And then uh, there was other guys that were there that were seniors that year that were leaving. So they were just all playing. Well, <clears throat> I can't remember the kid's name, but we're down there. We're playing ball. And so you got these eighth graders that are coming in. They're going to be freshmen next year. So we're out there and we're getting after it. And it's a completely different environment because I usually just dominated at my age. But now there's kids that are three years older than me, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, this tall drink of water, this... Uh, you know, ex-senior, he's leaving next year. He comes driving down the lane, and he's going to pull up for a little short 16-footer. Well, I happen to be there, so I leap, and I send it out. Uh-huh. Swat it, right? So whenever I swat it, he's falling, he's fading, and I swat it anyways. And so he falls. And then I felt somebody, like, he kicked his leg and like tried to trip me. And so I tripped, put one hand down and kept going. And then he reached up with, and tried to grab my foot. And I was like, man, he grabs a hold of my foot. So I jerked my foot away and I just run off. I just run to the other side. Like, just, just to play. Let's not do this. So I, run, I just run. I just run down to play defense mm-hmm. and, um, or offense. And um, I turn around and nobody's coming. You know, because the ball was loose. Yeah. But, but nobody's coming. So I get about half court. I noticed nobody's coming, and I was like, this guy's coming after me. So, like, I turn around, and I look. Johnny Brown has this guy by his shirt and just peppered him. Pow, pow. <laughs> and I heard him say, you're not my teammate anymore. He is. Really? And I remember feeling a sense of, like, man, 
somebody's got my back. Mm. You know, I'm his new teammate. You know, he's the senior now. He was exhibiting a role of leadership. Don't do that. You're on your way out. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to mess up what we have going here moving forward. Yeah. And um, Johnny was uh, intimidating to be around, um, but he was a teammate, and I knew he had my back, you know. And I'm just some kid, you know, and he's a senior. But I remember him uh, joking around, cutting jokes all the time, always doing silly stuff. And then, like, once you got into, like, that little family, it's like, okay, now I can see why people join gangs. Mm -hmm. Johnny wasn't a bad kid. He was just... he. Getting fights and all that kind of stuff. He was just tough. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I, when I grow up, I want to be like a big tough senior like him. And uh, that's kind of the way that we, that I push things forward. Uh, wasn't going to get in as much trouble as he did. He was a little rambunctious. But um, I remember uh, having some value on that team afforded me some 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 safety with the rest of the group. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I learned initially, my initial um, uh, lesson from sports was be valuable, have something to offer others, and then people will stand on, on your side. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and accept you in, in, right. in a way that is a good team environment. Right. So you move on to St. Greg's. How did you wind up at St. Gregory's? Were you recruited a lot or being in a small town? What was that like? Yeah, real small town. So um, nobody in my family went to college and uh, didn't go play sports. And we had some, that, a couple of cousins that played sports through high school kind of thing. But nobody was going to take a scholarship. And I was noticing a, a couple of guys that were coming to the uh, – basketball gym wearing suits which was unusual for our little country town yeah people wearing suits and someone said hey those are basketball coaches for college and they're looking at pace and um so i just like putting the pressure on so <laughs> i remember our senior year we were 12 and 0 on our home floor and we blew everybody out and um we didn't lose a game at home and uh i remember Someone had said that those guys were, I mean, the way it's a scholarship is what it is, but the way it was put to us, Hicks, was they said they'd pay for him to go to school. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) nobody else on the team was being looked at, and nobody else, you know, we were going, trying to win a state championship, and we fell short. But um, I remember there was an opportunity for me to get out of there and, and, and not have to pay for it. And I had good grades, you know, and um, I was a smart kid and I could play ball. So uh, St. Gregory's offered me a full scholarship to come there. They were a junior college at the time. And uh, so I spoke to my coach about it and he's like, hey, you've been playing small ball. Um, Go and get two years of college experience and then transfer to Division One." And I was like, what's Division One?" You know, (laughs) so... He said, well, you just go to a different school when you get done. And he's like, okay. I was like, all right, okay. sounds good. And so I went there, uh, St. Gregory's Junior College, and we played a really tough season and, and had a good first season. Well, St. Gregory's switched to St. Gregory's University going into my sophomore year. 
And they were saying, the coaches came to me and, and had a meeting with like four of the top guys and said, hey, you guys were probably going to transfer to go D1. Um, we don't want to derail that. Um, you guys could... Um, we talked to some other coaches that want you guys. And if you guys are going on this little little tour to go scrimmage with these guys and, and they won't pick up your scholarship. So we did that little tour driving around. I remember that mess. But um, I ended up at Eastern Oklahoma State and uh, spent one year there. And my goal was to transfer from there. Mm-hmm. Now, everything else I'm about to say is rumorville. It's just... It's just the way it was explained to me. So towards the end of the season, I had a good season there. I kept getting a bunch of letters, and I have, all, I still have all the letters today. Yeah. But I kept getting letters, but I wasn't hearing from. I didn't hear from anybody. I just was getting letters, and I was like, "What do we do? We write back, or like, what do we do?" <laughs> and so one day, the coach, and I'm gonna keep names out of this, but the assistant coach came and he said, "Hey, I want everybody in the room. I need to talk to you guys." I was like, oh, who did what now? Yeah. You know? So we're sitting in the room, and our assistant coach is sitting on the bed, and he's like, shut the door. So all the whole team's in there. Said, um, the head coach is losing his job next year, and he's trying to burn down the ship on his way out. And he's telling, he's not putting you guys in touch with people that have been calling in to recruit you guys. Hmm. So if you guys have information and uh, contacts, I would encourage you to reach out yourself. And then you're going to have to expect a little bit of uh, problems because I overheard him saying, like, you don't want him on your team. He's a bad kid. He doesn't do his work. Wow. And so he and I got into it. He said, we almost got into a fight. He said, I was almost going to knock him out, but I just walked out of the office. He said, you can't hurt these kids on your way out because you're losing your job. Wow. And so I grabbed my letters and some of these places were so far away, like Southern Alabama and, and, and uh, Tennessee. Uh, they were they're, they're mid majors mostly. Uh, the only one uh, that was a big big school was um, Southern Alabama, which I think was like fifteenth or seventeenth in the nation. D mm-hmm. one at that time in basketball, and uh, so we started to scramble, and we don't have any money. We don't have any like means like guys were getting together trying to figure out like how can we go on a recruiting trip how can we show up at a university and ask for a coach mm-hmm. and uh, there was no phones check this out there no cell phones yeah. there was no phones you know uh, we had to go everybody was like going down to the office trying to make phone calls and it was just taking so long and so um, I got a phone call from uh, my mom she goes. Here's a phone number. Call your old coach at St. Gregory's. And so I called him, and this is when I knew everything that the assistant coach told me was true. And I got him on the phone. I said, hey, coach, what's going on? And he said, what is going on over there? I said, it's a mess, coach. I said, I don't know what's going on. This coach is going crazy. He said, I have called up there probably 10 times and they say they're going to put me in touch with you and I never hear from you. He said, I had to go and dig out your mother's phone number, call her and have her to have you call me. Really? Wow. I said, I don't know what's going on right now. Everything's crazy. Everybody's freaking out. And, uh, we got, I got letters and he said, listen, I'll pay 
I'll give you a scholarship for your final two years if you'll come back and help me build this program. And at that point, I was thinking, I'm going to go NAIA. I have D1 offers on the table, not offers, but letters, you know. I have I have opportunities and, and stuff to connect, but I was still in that poor mindset, so I I, I took it. I, and I was just so thankful that he had reached out to me. Mm-hmm. So I went back to St. Gregory's for two more years. So that's how I ended up there. Yeah. So the the list of uh, like Wyoming and basketball and all those other ones, like those all fell off the table, and I just I always wonder like. You know, which one of these could I, what school could I have gotten on to? Man, what a crazy situation. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Adversity, adversity, adversity. What did you learn from that experience? Do you think <sighs> if you could take something out of it? Just not to trust. Like, I, I, I think you, there's a, a certain degree, you have to do your own work, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. there's a certain degree of, uh, it's not, see, I shouldn't have said not to trust, but, um, just don't trust others to care about your future as much as you do mm. and uh, do your own work. Like mm. I, 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 what, what would have happened if I, that was my question. It was so late in the recruiting season. Whenever we found all this out, um, I didn't have any money to get off to these schools and sure. go for a tryout or, or whatever. But, um, had we found that earlier or had I like, you know, what if I would have snubbed a man that was willing to pay for my school, you know, somebody who never had anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was familiar with it and there was a little bit of comfortab- comfortability there. So, um, just be prepared so that whenever the opportunities come, you're ready to go. I mean, mm-hmm. stay prepared. So, you know, be ready. So you don't have to get ready. That's the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I should have been looking ahead, but I didn't know a lot about how the school system worked. And here's a funny story. I was sitting my freshman year. We were sitting in the, out of the country, hick right now. So <laughs> I'm sitting in this dorm room and we got TV on. It's my own TV, you know, in my dorm room. And we got it on and I got uh, uh, University of uh, Kentucky. They're playing. And I'm watching them play. I'm like, golly, man, these guys are good. Uh-huh. And I look over at my, uh, he was from Weatherford, Oklahoma. Okay. I look over at him and I was like, man, we got to play them? He's like, no, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no. He said, they're not in our division. And I said, what division are we in? And I remember he said, they're not in our division. And I was like, what division are we in? Yeah. We're in college, right? And that was my extent of knowledge. Really? Yeah. Like, I didn't. He's like, no, they're in Division One. We're in NAIA. We were in JUCO at the time when he said that, actually. So he's like, no, we're in JUCO. Mm-hmm. He said, we won't play in their division. I said, like, oh, yeah, man. I was messing with you. <laughs> you know, and then I had to go research, like, what Look that up. was. I said, oh, now I see where I'm at. So a lot of this stuff, it was, like, it was all new. And it was learning experiences for you. When they were saying bigger schools, I was thinking bigger schools. Mm-hmm. Like population size. Yeah. <laughs> Not divisions. Sure. And so when people say, hey, you can go to a small school for a while and play some college ball and then move to a bigger school. Mm-hmm. Well, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, like, oh, now yeah. I get it. Yeah. Now I understand. Well, I didn't understand that as a kid because, like I said, I grew up in a family where we stayed outside. We didn't stay inside watching sports. Mm-hmm. And my family didn't go to school. Most of them didn't graduate high school. 
So without basketball, did you anticipate going into college after graduating high school, or what? What were you thinking outside of basketball? Well, what I was thinking when I was a kid, obviously, was I I, I want to I'm going to be a I want to play in the NBA and mm-hmm. I want to play in the in, for the dream team in the Olympics. I mean, I used to have the Patrick Ewing USA or David Robinson USA uh, jersey, you know, and I. Uh, I knew that college was a next level step to that. Next step to that. Yeah. So uh, I just I didn't realize you know the money uh, getting scholarship. I didn't understand that. I just knew that um, I'm going to play ball and do my get my grades where they need keep them where they need to be, and then um, just go on and play. At the, and like I figured, it was just you just kept going. Yeah, and. Um, as you get a little older, you start to realize that's not how it works, and then you need to get money for school and then scholarships. And I started figuring those things out, and uh, I just didn't understand like the divisions and the levels, and mm-hmm. it was just a work in progress for me. Yeah. So um, there was a time when I went to college, and they said, "What do you want to do to as far as your major?" And my first major was like, "I want to be a marine biologist." Yeah. And they were like, I'm good. I like, I like science and I like, uh, I want to be where there's sand and beach and I, I wouldn't mind living in that environment. Mm-hmm. Well, things kind of changed as I, as I grew in college, as I was in college, started changing my mind on that. Cause that was just kind of like me throwing out something that was of interest. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any experience being around. I think I went to SeaWorld once. Yeah. It fascinated me. I, I, I'd like to do that. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. What do they do? They're marine biologists. Oh, that's cool. I want to train that whale too. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, well, yeah, that's something like sometimes we don't know what we don't know until we get to certain points where we experience it. And then we get to make decisions for ourselves. And obviously it sounds like you're pretty disciplined. So you work on getting your grades, you get your grades, play basketball, you try to be diligent at that, try to be a good kid, and you start to see success. You get to go to school and play basketball. So as you've played those final two years at St. Greg, were you thinking about playing professionally, or was it something inside you kind of like figuring out what you wanted to do outside of athletics? That was a big turning point my final two years, and that's a really good question because um, I had decided by that point what I wanted to do career-wise, and I was in a – um, St. Gregory's is a small school and it didn't have a strength conditioning coach. And, um, so we were just kind of left to doing it ourselves and coach kind of, kind of put me in charge cause he didn't want to sit in the weight room mm-hmm. and I was the guy that was going to be in there. Really? So he was like, here's the list of what we're doing today. And I was the, you know, the cool guy to come in with the workout and stick <laughs> it up on the mirror and like, this is what we're doing guys. And, uh-huh. and um, make sure I did check off, you know, check roll real just butthole about it. Like. Where's where's uh where's so and so where's so and is he's here no go get him go get, wake him up and get him in here it's workout time yeah you know and um, coach like that because discipline you know this is our teammate we got to be here we got to do it and they respected me and I noticed that that um, being a team leader a starter on the basketball team and and um, they respected me I wasn't I wasn't riling them up messing with them all the time just to be doing it and they knew coach was going to ask me in practice who was there. JT wasn't here. Kirkwood wasn't here. So, you know, whoever it was, you know, those just a couple guys on a team. Not, mm-hmm. It wasn't even them, but like, yeah. just these guys weren't 
They weren't at workout. Why weren't you at workout? Oh, you know, I had class and I had to do that. Okay, you're going to make that up. Now, how come you weren't? Oh, I slept in. Okay, get online. Yeah. You know? And so I was, um, in, I was sitting in my same dorm room. I made that stupid division. Are we playing them? You know? Yeah, Kentucky. Same dorm room. And I was sitting there and, uh, I was, I was flipping through the channels and there happened to be these, these beautiful girls on the screen and they had like the little number and all that. And I was like, what is it? And it was a pageant, uh-huh. but not like anything I'd ever seen. It was like a fitness pageant. And so they were doing all these exercise routines and all this kind of stuff. And man, I had this one girl picked. I was like, she's going to win it. Oh my gosh. She's so hot. You know? Uh-huh. And so I'm watching this thing, just lazy dorm day, just stupid Saturday watching this thing. And the girl ends up winning it. I was like, I knew it. I knew she was going to win. She's so athletic, man. I don't find me a girl like that. Ain't no girl like that on campus, you know. And so I was fascinated with her athleticism and her build and everything. And and she was just absolutely stunning. Well, the reason why she'll be forever close to my heart is because she said, I couldn't have done it without my strength and conditioning coach. First time I've ever heard that. Really? And I was like... What is that? <laughs> Strength and conditioning coach. Monday morning, I was in my advisor's office. Can you tell me about careers in strength and conditioning? She goes, yeah. And she leans back. She pulls out this file. I still have it to this day, the little sheet that she gave me. It said careers in strength and conditioning. And it had like this little profile sheet of like what that meant mm. at the time. Yeah. I said, that's what I want to do. She goes, oh, this is your major? I said, that's it. That's what I want to do. She was okay. You sure? I said, that's it. I'm out. I got up, walked out. I said, set me up. That's what I'm doing. She said, okay. So I went from there, literally walked across to the campus to where the, uh, his name was Reggie Grover. He was the manager of the, the, the maybe aerobic center, which was on site. I said, Hey man, any jobs in here that I can do off season? He's like, yeah, man, some people come in and you can do some training with them. And it's like, sweet, so I can work here? He's like, yeah, you can, yeah. He said, when you have time. I said, can I set a schedule where I come in here? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So there was a portion of the facility that opened up to the community so people could come in and exercise. Mm -hmm. So I I, uh, provided myself as a personal trainer to work with people to start learning that, you know, because I was always in the gym anyways. I had no formal instruction, but he was just letting me do it. Yeah. So he said, uh, you just got to get a certification and then uh, you can do it. And I was like, what? Certification? What do you mean? He said, you have to get a certification and ask your advisor. So I said, okay. So I went to my advisor and I said, um, I need a certification so I can work down at the aerobic center. She goes, we have a university certification. This is 1998. She goes, you study for it. Here's your curriculum. Study for it. Take it, and I'll give you a, a certification. Uh, then you can give it to Reggie, and then you can work there. I was like, okay, give me the stuff. <laughs> and I, I had this like this ferocious hunger for this, like because I, I knew where the pot of gold was, mm-hmm. and I just had to get there. Like now I know where I'm going. Now I know what I'm doing. I'm just playing basketball. Yeah. And after you play a couple years in college, you realize. The NBA guys are a different breed than what I was. And I was a hard worker, but I wasn't, that talent level was different. Mm-hmm. And so um, I started working with people one-on-one, and then 
the girls, a couple of girls on the softball team asked me to help them with a plan. So I put a plan together for them in the weight room. And then I was doing our basketball team. And then the girls' cheerleaders were asking about uh, fitness, you know, be more lean and, and, and cute and all that. And so I started working with the, the cheerleaders and then the softball and then the girls, some of the girls' basketball. And just like bits and pieces from all over the university, people started coming to me asking for advice in the gym. And I kind of became a staple in the gym. If I went in the dorm or working out in the gym or on the courts, I was in there helping people. Yeah. And that started back in 98. And uh, that's where that began. And it was all predicated off of watching that one show show with that girl Mm. and um so i had decided at that point to research and see what the higher levels of certifications were and started to work towards that at that point in time um there was um a lot of beating that i had taken at that point i had had multiple knee surgeries at that point playing and all that so i was trying to work around that try to prevent those injuries from coming back up. I ended up having four knee surgeries before I graduated college. Uh-huh. And um, as soon as college was over, they had told me, hey, there's a um, there's a, a talent group. It's, they're, they're talent scouts. They're going around and they're looking for basketball players to pick up contracts, play overseas. I was like, overseas? And they're like, yeah, overseas. And um, you can get a contract and be a professional basketball player. I was like, okay, so what do I do? They said, go down to this gym at this time, and then you'll just suit up and you'll scrimmage, and there'll be people there watching. So I went in and just wrecked shop on these guys. I mean, I just tore them up, you know. And as one of the guys, he was killing it too. Well, at the end of it, those scouts offered he and I the next stage. So could I have gone pro? Don't know. I got home and my knees were hurting so bad at that time that I remember I put my legs up and I put ice and I was so tired. I put that the blue ice, I put it directly on my skin. Well, I was only going to put it in there like 10 minutes and take it off. Yeah. Well, I put it on there and after it went numb, I fell asleep. I woke up and peeled these things off. And I'm saying... It was, uh, we call that burn. Yeah, uh, frost, frostbite. Frostbite, yeah. On both knees. Really? <laughs> Blistered both my knees up. And uh, I don't know how long it was on there, but I'd fallen asleep, you know. Yeah. And then I got up, and I could barely walk, and I had frostbite on my knees. And I said, man, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. So I'm gonna, once I, because I just graduated, and, and uh, I was like, I'm going to go ahead and push forward with my, my goals of strength conditioning and Mm-hmm. being a performance specialist. Yeah. So where did you wind up first job outside of college? Did, I, you, stay, uh, did you stay down in St. Greg's or did you no, wind up in Tulsa right after? Yeah, I moved to Tulsa. I had a buddy who was up and lived in Tulsa. Uh, he was came off the bench and played for us. So he uh, was a three-point shooter. He didn't D up very well, so he didn't get a lot of tick. Yeah. But uh, he, had a, he was like, hey, man, let's move in together. Tulsa's got a lot of big time schools up there and I just wanted to get in and get away from where I grew up, you know, and just mm-hmm. get away a little bit and, uh, didn't get far, but, um, I came up here and we got an apartment together and I remember us struggling 
between three basketball players all in one two-bedroom apartment. And we made it three-bedroom because we didn't really sit at the kitchen table, so we put a futon in there, and that's where Tommy slept. <laughs> and so uh, the three of us splitting, I think it was uh, $590 a month. And, oh, we're just dying, man. Just <laughs> like, it's so expensive, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, when I first, before the week before I graduated, I came to Tulsa, and I started, and I got suited and booted, and I went around and uh, started advertising. Well, I got a job. At, uh, it's not, it doesn't exist anymore, but it's All-American Fitness. And they were like, uh, yeah, we'll hire you. And it's just another one of them stupid things like, Pace is graduating. He's already got a job waiting on him. His job starts next week, man. He's going to yeah. like, we don't know what we're going to do. And I'm like, yeah, I got a job already. You yeah. put my degree to work. Yeah. So I go to All-American and I told them that I wanted to be a trainer. And they are like, well, we only allow X number of trainers at a time. We're a full but um, one of the uh, trainers is leaving, so there's going to be a spot available. You speak to this guy, get set up, and then um, for, for, for the time being, you can work in sales. So I said, what do I got to do? And they said, when people come in, you tour the facilities, you make them feel at home, and you get them on a membership. I said, okay. But then I get to be a trainer, and they're like, yeah, that, when this guy's going to leave here in about a month or so, then you can... You can go do that. I said, okay, thanks. So uh, I come in, my first job as a salesman, and I was standing in the front. I didn't sit in my office. A lot of the other ones, they sat in their offices. And why I stood at the front? Uh, two reasons. You flirt with the receptionist <laughs> and and catch the new people when they were walking in because I was already standing there. Sure. So um, I had rent to pay, and so I needed to work. And so... From there, I basically was to stand up there, take people on a tour, show them around, sign them up, and just easy work, right? So, a um, month goes by, nothing, and uh, an ugly situation occurred. We were sitting there, and, and uh, I guess they were all income. I figured out every one of those things was in competition with other sites. Who had the highest sales and all this stuff. And so um, they would listen to you. There was a mic in the room. And so they would sit in there and listen to your sales pitch when you were talking to people. This young lady comes in one day. She's morbidly overweight. Mm -hmm. And she, I can't make this up, she literally walks in with a soda and a bag of chips yeah, into the health club. Yeah. And I was the first one to see her. And then I, um, I don't know that she had a lot of money or whatever. Um, she was just asking about how it worked. And so I, um, gave her a tour and, and basically told her, Hey, uh, here's our option. She goes, okay, I, I want to think about it. And I said, okay. I said, here's my card. If you need anything, come back. Well, she walks out. I felt like she had a relatively pleasant experience. And then the manager's over there. And he said, hey, get in here. I said, me? He said, yeah, get in here. And all the other salesmen were sitting in the office. So I went in there. And I said, what's up, man? And he said, um, they're all laughing. He said, that fat comes in here with sucking on a soda, eating chips, and you didn't sell her before she got out? Mm. 
I said, hey, I gave her all the information. We know we were listening. You tell them, and they're laughing at me. Mm. So I stand up, and I was like, that's not uh, what I signed up for. That's not my, I'm not here to, to if she wants the help, then she's going to get it. I gave her all the information. Now yeah. it's up to her if yeah. she wants to do it. Sure. And um, I was like, so I just stood up, and he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going back to work. I said, I'm not sitting here listening to this. So then I called. I remember that really irritated me. So then there's like a stereo, like just this domino effect afterwards. Yeah. I'm pissed off. They were making fun of me because I didn't sell them. They were making fun of her because she was so overweight. All these different issues. And I was like, that's not, that's, I don't want to work in that environment. I didn't like that. I don't mm-hmm. like the, the way they were coming across. You're supposed to help people. And when she walks out, you don't talk about her behind her back. Yeah. And so I went up to the front and said, can I borrow the phone? So I got the phone and I called the, the guy that was supposed to be in charge of the personal trainers. And I said, I need a meeting because I can't. He said, we're trying to get to you. Uh, you know, just be patient. I said, I've been here for a month. I've been here over a month. And you said it was going to be about a month. I need to know, do I need to look somewhere else for a training position? Or he said, well, I'll get back. And he said, let me talk to so-and-so and I'll get back with you. I'll get back with you this week. I said, okay. Hang up the phone. Well... I was sitting up there talking to the receptionist, kind of cooling down. And then one of the trainers who was there, she comes in. I remember she was a good-looking, fit girl, that um, kind of younger-looking. But, you know, I was just right out of college. so. But I remember even being that, that she seemed younger to me. So I was like, hey. I said, how are you? And she goes, I'm good. And I said, you got training sessions? She goes, yeah, I got three. I was like, cool. I said, how did you get on? Like, how did you, how did you get, like, a position? I said, I've been here for over a month, and I can't. Like, get on. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this is what she said. I can't, once, once again, I can't make this up. Yeah. She says, I uh, applied for the receptionist position and there wasn't one open, so they asked me if I could do some training. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I'm here with a degree yeah. and a certification in, in personal training, trying to get a job, and they got me up here doing sales. So she runs back and she goes... I said, where do you, where'd you go to college? She goes, I'm not in college. She goes, I play soccer at Edison. Really? She was a high school kid. She's a high school kid. So now I'm really, so then the big boss wanted to talk to me and said for me, because I was waiting for that call back. They gave me an address. They said, come down to the corporate office. We want to talk to you. And I was like, sweet. Finally, I get to talk about some personal training. So I get down there and uh, he's like, oh, so this is the guy. Yeah, I see what you're talking about. This guy's got some presence about him. And um, I was like, what? And he said, well, they were saying that uh, you were wanting to do personal training, but you're never going to make it in that field. But you got, you, got, you got a sales potential about you. You got a presence. I remember him saying you got a presence about you. I said, like, okay. He said, here's the sales records. You know you're beating everybody at your facility in your first month right out of the gate? She goes, these are my top performers in that facility, and you, you just edged them out right out of the gate your first month. He said, it's a fresh face. You've got a great presence. You've got a great look about you. I want to talk to you about moving forward in sales and because and, there's a sales manager type of career ahead of you on this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no, no I don't, that's not what I want to do. I said, I want to be a trainer. He said, you're never going to make the money that you're looking for. I remember him saying that, that you're looking for as a trainer. And I started thinking, I don't know this guy from Adam. How does he know what I'm looking for? Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what I'm looking for. I want to train people. 
That's where I found the power. I want to help people be stronger. And he had told me, he said, you realize in the health club game, he said, we, we create sales and sales are infinite. You can sell and sell and sell and sell because on a national average, only 15 to 20% of people who have a membership actually use their membership. He said, it's infinite. You can sell till the cows come home. You can make all the money you want. So I was in this big corporate office and I, I was just like, thank you. Uh, I'll get back to you. You know, I didn't, I wasn't bold enough to be like disrespectful on his face. I just like, I just didn't like anything he was saying. So then that next day, my day off, I was in my suit. And again, <laughs> I was going around different gyms uh-huh. and looking for jobs to be a trainer. So that's, that was my first nasty experience in the biz. Mm-hmm. And then how did you get started training over at the Grand Health Club? Um, one of the jobs that was available to me right off the gate, out right of the gate was, um, I went and interviewed for a fitness specialist or something like that at, uh, St. John's Health Club, which seemed more professional. The whole setup was more professional. It's mm-hmm. a hospital. And so I went through that process and got hired on, and they were able to bring me on as a uh, as a trainer for uh, a fitness specialist, a phys- uh, sport, uh, fitness physiologist, something like that. I can't remember. Um, had a little badge and everything. Yeah. But um, exercise physiologist—that's what I was hired on as. And I had um, two shifts a week at night. So I was able to go to my sales job and then come there and, and exercise physiology at night. Well, I was trying to get away from my sales job. So, uh, I found, um, another job in the morning, which was uh, Thornton YMCA, which is now the Tandy YMCA. And I met the lady up there and she said, you could be my morning manager if you wanted to, and you can do personal training up here, but it's a YMCA. So we don't do a lot of sales and personal training. She goes, but I can hire you for 30 hours a week. So I would go and be the morning manager uh, to run the gym portion of Thornton Y uh, in the morning, Monday through Friday. And then on the at evenings, um, I would go to St. John's to work. And then uh, a guy told me that I was working with at Thornton. He's like, hey, man, like you're a pro. He said, you don't need to be working here. There's a new gym opening up, and that gym only hires professionals. So you need to go be with other professionals. Mm-hmm. And his name was Josh, and uh, he and I worked together. He he was a rock punk rock band guy, and he used to run the desk. Okay. But he was my friend there at Thornton, you know. Yeah. He goes, I heard about that new gym. You need to go check it out because that's where the professionals are. I was like, okay. So when I got off work one day, I put my suit back on, you know, and I went over there and I met, I ran into Chad Peace and he goes, Hey, how can I help you? And I said, yeah, I was coming over to ask about the grand. It was under construction at the time. Okay. And he said, uh, he goes, yeah. He said, are you looking for a membership or are you wanting to work? <laughs> I said, I want to work. He goes, Oh, awesome, man. Come on back. I don't remember. know if you remember Chad or not. He I don't remember Chad. High energy, happy go lucky, good guy, you know? Yeah. He said, come on back. So I went back and had like a little makeshift little interview and uh, as I was on my way back, I saw Travis Washington. He was in there. I remember he was over training somebody okay. as I was walking by. And then Rachel, and I saw them. 
So I went in and did an interview, and he said, yeah, I think we're going to bring you on. And he said, we got, I said, How, when can you work? And I said, as of right now, I have these three nights, Monday, Wednesday, Friday night, and I can work. So Thornton YMCA, 7 a.m. to whatever, Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 5 to 10. Um, Tuesday, Thursday at the Grand, and Tuesday, Thursday at St. John's, four to eight or four to nine. That was my schedule. And yeah. then picking up anybody's shift that I could on the weekends. Really? So that's You're just I, going at it. Yeah. Yeah. The Grand was the most professional environment. And so what I had started doing there was my goal was to train athletes. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I wanted to do there was start the process of uh, eliminating things that I didn't need and filling it up filling up those gaps with other things. Yeah. So I would like drop off, hey, uh, I'm going to drop off my uh, St. John's gig over here and I'm going to work, do personal training on these other nights instead of hourly wage over there. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I started to eliminate, I started growing inside, I focused my point at the Grand and started to eliminate the other obligations. Not time obligations, but having to be somewhere else. Yeah. So I ended up getting rid of Thornton Y. And I grew into that full-time position and training there full-time at the Grand. Then that was the process of, now we need to start our sports program that's advertised and see who we can get. And six kids came to that first, that first one. And then talking to parents on the floor, like Rob and you know my partner, Training Rob Miles, you know, mm-hmm. your father, and I was training Julie Miles, your mother. And hey, you got kids that play, you know, why don't you bring them back to me in the evening and let's work with them? And I think you and your brother were two of the first. Who, yeah, who were some of the first um, people you worked with, kids wise? It was you and your brother. There was a kid named Alex Birdsong. There okay. was uh, uh, Travis Hicks, Ray Belcher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Matt was in there. Was Matt Reynolds in there? Or was he after? He bit? came on a little bit later. Okay. Um, but yeah, he was, I picked him up when he was quite young. Okay. I started working with him when he was really young. And he kind of just grew up in my gym with me. Mm-hmm. You know, Tyler Falcon and all those guys and uh, a bunch of different, I, I mean, there was all kinds of so kids. Many, yeah, so many kids. <laughs> yeah, there's been thousands of kids. But that point. was that was your start into mm-hmm. working with kids and young athletes and helping yeah, them Yeah, kids grow. that were in that tennis academy there. You know, <clears throat> yep, yep. where we started picking up. Mm-hmm. Kids and started working with them. So yeah, Zane, Zane Simmons. Okay, he was a tennis athlete and blew yeah. his ACL. And uh, I, if I think about it, you know, a lot of yeah, names will start coming. Tons back. of tons of names. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, you started there, and I remember just thinking back a, a quick memory is like uh, just the Z ball using the Z ball, which I think you still use. <laughs> we probably. still use them. It's we a great use them. Great tool. Yeah, and then also just about that uh, quick titch, quick twitch. And, and being able to, instead of taking a step back on yep. the sprint, go right into using that front the leg react, forward. Yeah, remember that little machine we had, the reaction coach? I do. Yeah. Yeah, that thing, that thing we, were, we wore that thing out. Yeah. Yeah. So I can look back on that period in my life. Because at that time, I think, you know, by happenstance, my parents happened to train down there and, and met you. And my brother and I got involved in, in working out with you. And I think that, for me, as I look back on my life, was such a... You know, such an instrumental point for me to be around a guy like yourself, but also to start to 
you know, get better at being a better athlete. Right. Get, get quicker, uh, get stronger. Mostly the speed was big at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I could Still absolutely, is. absolutely, you know, it was a huge improvement for me. Helped me gain confidence to play sports. And uh, just, I think it really did shape me a, a ton. But anyway, going back to that, that was kind of the foundation into you starting kind of uh, training athletes. <clears throat> then you go on from the Grand, what do you go to Champions? Yeah, Champions right? took over a spot in there. Uh, Didn't for, you? How long were you there for? Well, we at the Grand, we were trying to convert a portion of the basketball, of the uh, uh, tennis courts in the back to the training center. Okay. Since yeah. we already had. Um, uh, a bunch of people there, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, clients, and we were already established there. And he didn't want to let us uh, reconstruct one. And so um, we said if we can't build a true um, sports performance-style facility uh, on site, then we have to go do it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that one got a little bit nasty there. Um, we threatened to leave. It wasn't a threat. It was we can't continue to do what we're trying to do we need space and so uh, champions um was kind of in trouble it was just kind of sitting there useless they was using it for basketball tournaments and stuff on the weekends and there was a space upstairs that was open and i said could we rent that space from you to do our training um and could we use the open spaces when they're not being used Mm -hmm. he said anytime something's not being used you can use it yeah just pay me my rent and uh he was a stern kind of guy, but a really good guy, a, a friend. Um, and um, we went over there and we started the, the process of uh, training. So what happened, or running our own business um, on our own, what happened was uh, we exploded when we had no limitations. We didn't have to worry about anybody else coming in and messing with it. So mm-hmm. we outgrew the space super fast. Yeah, And so um, I had decided that we needed to get out of that space because we were at a point where we were now turning people away. Like we couldn't, people were coming, they wanted the training, they had chosen us, but we didn't have the time or the space for it and they ended up going somewhere else. So Mm -hmm. we were feeding some of our competitors and I was like, we need more space, we need more people. And I went, uh, had a a guy approach me, um, uh, Mr. McIntosh, because I trained his kids. And Jim said, uh, how long are you guys going to be here? And I said, well, we're looking for a new space. He goes, I got warehouse space all over the place. I can show you. So he showed me this little 5,000 square foot space. It was more of a square. And I said, this would be awesome. So once I decided to, to we're, yeah, we're going to take the space. We did, did discuss what the rent was going to be and all that. And I said, yeah, we're going to take the space. And then his son, Dan, came back and said, um, I can do you a, a really good deal. I can give you a really good deal if you take another 5,000. I was like, whoa. We went from 1,500 square feet yeah. to 10,000 square feet. Yeah. And it was like, like I'm just standing out in the parking lot. He's like, yeah, I'll move all this stuff. And then right, you guys have this whole space. Yeah. Okay. So I remember that was the first time I really had like fear. Like, mm. I was really, I was scared. Um, that it wasn't that, wasn't gonna work, and you couldn't pay pay rent. Well, I just I, I, you're you're stepping out in different territory. Like I'm beholden to these people mm-hmm. to pay them rent and pay you know do this do this thing. And I got to a point where I was I was I was concerned about it. And uh, but that 
that that spirit that I've always had in me to overcome adversity. Like I was like, it's been presented. It was presented for a reason. Let's do it. We outgrew that space in the first two years. Mm. And then uh, we expanded into the next four bays. So we were 20,000. It was 19,800 square feet. And you grew up in that gym. You know, um, you trained all the way through uh, in that facility. And we we just continued to grow it. And after I was there for about 10 years. So from that place uh it starts to fall apart because it was all man-made i mean i don't remember like the insulation was like falling down okay, and yeah i remember we stayed up there one whole night we, we did spray on insulation on the ceiling that didn't work mm-hmm. you know and so we had to go up and insulate the ceiling and uh i remember hicks put in like crazy hours like on scaffolding going up there and like putting <laughs> insulation in the ceiling this was after we'd already been open yeah you know and uh we just did whatever we could everything and Anything and everything we could to keep that thing going. Make it work. Yeah. We had that big crash in 2008. Mm-hmm. It eliminated most of my clientele. Mm. And I had to sit down and come up with a negotiation with my uh, landlords on what to do. I was like, you can either kick me out now or you can increase my rate, my rent after six months. Just to give me six months off. And they did. Mm. And it, I had to add more rent on top of it. So my payment, I said, after six months, my payment will go back up, but everybody's going through, we're going through this recession right now. And I, I don't know what to do. And, um, and I said, I tell you what, every time I get enough money to pay the rent in that six months, I'll pay it. And you take that off on the back end as a credit. And so every time I could pay, I would pay something every month, you know, and then I ended up, uh, for the rest of my term, uh, paying a little bit more on my, uh, rent there so mm. uh, we got through that so adversity adversity adversity, adversity. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Com- common common pattern in your life yeah it's just the way it is yeah you're learning from it right so then you go from that facility and then you start um you know the titan sports and performance mm. you're working out there for a couple of years where that's a huge facility right um I had an idea for the uh, Tulsa All Sports Complex, and there was a, a warehouse, a Jamaco company used to occupy a warehouse that was over by the, the TSC soccer fields. And I had gotten in there and um, asked, I had an engineer friend help me, and uh, I got in there and I did some due diligence on that space, and then I started looking for, I got a design for it, and I still have it. And I had gotten people interested in me putting a sports complex right there. My goal was to put it next to and make it very convenient for the sports family to go and travel to. And uh, this is, they're going to spend a lot of time out here and practice and playing games. And so let's, let's make it all in one so that I can encourage more athletes to prepare themselves physically and psychologically for sports in my training program. And so, um, Everything kept going and going and just falling through, falling through, just week, week, week. Uh, finally started getting something going and I had somebody who was interested in the property and me paying them rent was a bonus. And we structured it to where 
they would buy it, they would own the building, and then as I'm paying it back, I'd be gaining interest in the in the company as a whole, the building as a whole. Mm-hmm. And it was a win for them, but they, these these investors wanted the property. They wanted that building. Yeah. And they didn't want it to just sit there. They like that's cool because he he know we know him and he could you know do this thing and if this thing works he they're gonna he's gonna be paying us on top of it you know mm-hmm. they would have bought the property just to own the property yeah well at the end of that whole thing the sellers decided that they didn't want to be sellers they wanted to be landlords and they would rent it to us well my investors didn't want to rent a building. They weren't overly interested in my vision. They wanted to own the property, and so they backed out. So I was like, fell through again. I was like, man, I put so much time and energy into this thing. Yeah. So I was lifting weights one day, and I had irritated my back. And when I was in college, I had uh, ruptured a disc, and um, I hadn't checked on it in a long time. And my back was really sore in that same space, so I thought maybe I'll go to the docs and uh, have him look at it and make sure everything's on the up and up. So on my appointment date... um, I was getting out of the truck, and my business plan for the Tulsa All Sports Complex was sitting there. And I was like, I'm taking this with me. <laughs> I reached over and grabbed it, and I went in. So I went to see the doctor, and he was looking. He said, your back looks great. It's just everything's tight, and it's inflamed right now. Let it calm down. Don't lose your mobility. If you lose your mobility, blah, 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 all this stuff. Stuff that I knew. He said, but everything else is healthy. It looks good. You just irritated it because of that, pre- that previous injury. Before I left, I said, hey, man, I don't mean to spring this on you, but what do you think of this? And I just like <laughs> tossed it over to him. So he was looking at it, and he was like, huh. He said, I know somebody who may be interested in this. So I, he said, can I keep this? I said, yeah, it's your copy. You can keep that. So he said, okay. He said, I'm going to reach out to them, and I'll let you know what they say. And I said, all right. So I get a call like a week or so later from somebody over uh, who – was a part of Titan, but mm-hmm. he, he had interest in a sports complex as well. And he said, Hey, coach pace, my name is so-and-so. And I heard that, uh, we have mutual interest and like to sit down and see if we can talk about it. I was like, yeah, sweet. So he comes to my office and we sit down and I said, I've been trying to do this for years. I haven't been able to get any traction on it. This was my, my business model that just fell through. I mean, just fell through. He goes, oh, that's interesting. He says, this is what we've been trying to do. And he shows me a facility that had like courts and a field, an outdoor field. And I said, well, mine's different because mine has a health club and has a training center in it. And that's what helps to generate money during the day, you know, when, when kids aren't using it. And um, so we talked for hours and it was really refreshing to talk to somebody who was like on the same page with me about goals for this thing. Yeah. And so he contacted me, he calls me back, and he said, hey, I presented this to the group that was interested in investing in something like this, and they said if we did it together, they would invest in it. He said, what do you say? You want to partner on it? And I said, yes. So the process starts. I start designing a building. There was a, a warehouse that was of interest, but it didn't really fit. And so they were like, I got a message. Hey, just tell Pace to design it. Like, we're going to build it from the ground up. Like, if we were going to do that, what would it look like? Let's just start from there. So I went to work, and I'm drawing, and I'm building this thing out. And one day, we were sitting down, he and I were talking. He said, hey, um, what, what, what are you, you want to call this place UPC? 
I was like, no, nah, I say it's kind of new. He said, that's good, man, because I, I want it to be kind of fresh, you know, something new that mm-hmm. uh, has something to do with, you know, all of us. So it's, it seems new. I said, yeah, I'm not married to UPC. He said, come up with a different name and a logo and uh, uh, so I can present it to the, to the board, to the investment group. I was like, I'll do it. So we went into the process of uh, called a, a, a volleyball dad. And he was, he did like um, design work, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I had a bunch of names that I came up with. And so I came up with a, what's, what makes this thing like a mega, mega facility that, that athletes go to, to compete. I was like the Coliseum. (laughs) And I was like, no, that doesn't even make sense because what would our, what would our team names be? The Coliseum kids? Gladiators. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The gladiators. Like what would we call them? And so I was like. You know, this is supposed to be like one of the greatest and the largest and the biggest and the, the like Titanist, the, oh, Titan. Titan. This would be like a Titan. I said, this would be Titan sports and, and performance. And then we could have Titan teams. Mm-hmm. I was like, man. I like the ring to that. Yeah. I like it. So I put Titan sports and performance. And then I had the designer. I said, can you give me, I said, here's the name of my company that's coming up. Can you give me um, like a bunch of logos that kind of go along with this? So he gave me a sheet. I have it somewhere, by the way. And he gave me a sheet with all these different color patterns and all this and different logos. And so I picked out the top three, I think, logos. And what I did was I put the top three up and I had all the kids coming into the gym vote on which one they liked. Mm -hmm. So the shield with the T was the one that won. Really? Yeah. And um, so we did the Shield with the T and Titan Sports and Performance Center. And then uh, built out the new facility, presented it, and it just just kept going until it became reality. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and I think there's a lot just in your story, because you sit and you talk about having to present uh, you know, your idea to people, to, to investors. Right. It goes back to your sales background. Obviously, someone saw right. something in you, right? So... It's not like you ever neglected being a sales guy, too. Those were qualities that enabled you to help you get to the point that you're at as well. Right. So all these things that happen all happen probably with purpose, you know? For a reason. Yeah. Everything, I've always said that everything that I've done has been a, as mm-hmm. a, it's a, been need-driven. Yeah. When I needed this, I had to do this. When I needed that, then now I need this, I got to do this. And so everything has been need-driven. I've never had like a... There's only been one destination has been elite performance development specialist. And how I got there is not a, how I get to that point is not a, there's not a business plan that I can just draw up. Mm-hmm. There's going to be plenty of uh, change of direction, some bobbing and weaving going on in order to get there. You just have to continue to battle through adversity and make it happen. Yeah. One way or another. Find a way or make a way. Yeah, find a way or make a way. I like that. And there's a guy that I know you like as well, Ed Milet. He's yeah. got a quote that he says, um, everything doesn't happen to us, it happens for us. Yes. And so you can see that you've used that in your life, whether you've decided to define that as that quote or not, but you've been doing that. Um, you know, another thing too, it wasn't like this was a super overnight sensation right it was a long progression and it was also having a vision for it because i think it probably evolved over time but i remember back being younger 
um, you wanted to have something like this mm-hmm. even when you were just starting off. Well, the issue that I see is um, I, I, I'm in the books. You know, uh, I, I'm a, I study, I go to the top guys in our industries conferences and, and I lecture and I've been lecturing for years and I have a basis of, um, I have a base of experience from my facility, you know, 23 years working with athletes and I, it's, it's, it's difficult to, it's always scary for me when I come up with an adverse parent and they have a different idea of what should happen. And I'm looking at the parent and I'm like, you are a first time parent with a nine year old child that is playing sports. Okay. I've seen hundreds upon hundreds of you. I've developed hundreds upon hundreds of you. I've seen this story play out so many times you couldn't even imagine. There's so many different ways this thing can go. Yeah. And you're trying to tell me what you think I should do in my facility with this particular athlete. The one thing that is scary about that is that to every single parent, their kid is extremely special. And that's fine. But reality has to set in at some point as to what we need to do to get this kid from point A to their end goal. From where they present to me that day to whatever their goal is. Mm-hmm. What do we have to do? And it doesn't always line up with how the parents want it to go. And it's one of those things. I got from where I am through this radical changes all throughout my life mm-hmm. to end up where I am. Yeah. And that's all been, I've been product of all of that travel. And their kids are going to have to travel as well. They're trying to do it in the least stressful way possible. And that is not what makes a champion. Mm. Champions have to go through adversity. They have to battle on when they think that all hope is lost. They have to learn that at some point in time, you're going to be on your own. I have to do it without his or her help. And so we put the kids in there and I let them battle sometimes. And I had, it was funny. I had two little boys. They're kind of rough and tumble and they ran and they, the, the drill was this kid is chasing this kid and this one's supposed to be staying away in, inside of a box for whatever reason. And it happens. This one thought he was chasing this one and this one thought he was chasing this one and they ran and they just smack, I mean, right into each other. And then they hit the ground and they both got up and they looked at each other and I was like, oh, here we go. And they're staring at each other like, you just ran into me. And the other one's like, you just ran into me. And one is uh, nine and the other one's eight. And I was like, I told the trainer, like, stop. Because she was hidden over there. I said, stop. Hmm. So they kind of, they stood there looking at each other and I thought, are they going to fight? Or like, what are they going to do? And I was letting them have their moment. So then they kind of like backed away from each other. Then I gave them the lesson. Like, who's chasing who here? You know? (laughs) So I gave them the lesson. Well, the the other kid comes back and goes, I didn't know he was going to truck me like that. (laughs) And I was like, well, he, he learned in that moment. He didn't know what was going on. He was confused, but he didn't overreact. Mm-hmm. It was a lesson that both of them learned. And I brought him up and I said, so you guys didn't know what was going on right in that moment and something crazy happened. But did you overreact? No. Did you overreact? No. I said, good job, boys. Yeah. There was a lesson learned in that moment. And neither one of them, everyone, both of them passed the lesson. And 
I can't tell you that I'm going to take your kid into my gym and I'm going to slam him into some other kid and teach him how to handle that properly. But I saw that there was good framework from those two kids from the way they were raised on how they were going to handle it. And they handled it the right way. I could tell they were irritated. I've seen a kid chasing another kid and one gets smacked in the face and one go irate. We got to pull him off the walls. Mm-hmm. And talk to him like, why did you go? And he slapped me. Did he do it on purpose? Yes. Did he do that on purpose? Yeah. No. Then calm down. And we work through those issues. Because when you're playing basketball, when you're playing football, you're going to get smacked in the mouth. Things are going to, adversity is going to come at you at 100 miles an hour. And you have to learn how to deal with that. You can't have mom and dad on the sideline mm-hmm. trying to dictate every single move and how everything works. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's, there's an inherent violence in sports that we are teaching these athletes how to control. We're controlling the violence of this. When I stepped on a college basketball court for the first time, it blew my mind how fast the game was. Because in high school, I was the one dictating the tempo of the game. And in college, it was a different, a different scenario. And I had never played at that level before, and I could not believe how fast those guys were moving. Mm. And I had to catch up. And I didn't have my mom in the stands or talking to the coach trying to tell everybody to slow down until I catch up. <laughs> I had to catch up. Yeah. Which is the process of learning to be a top-level athlete or being the best that you can by overcoming whatever adversity comes at you whenever it does. So you have to let certain organic things happen and then deal with it as it as it plays out. We're not perfect or anything, but when we're training kids, I try to teach them, like, this is not, we're not perfect in this environment, but we're trying to provide as much stimulus as possible for them to overcome while they're there for as long as I have them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing, too. That's just one little lesson. There's so many, so many lessons that you have instilled in kids while they're working with you. Right. It has nothing to do with athletics. It comes, it comes There's in, a, yeah. It comes in, 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 it naturally. Different ways. comes out. It just yeah. comes out in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. Like, you're teaching them about being a better athlete, both mentally and physically, but you're also teaching them life skills. And I think that's something you have a passion for. And so much of what you talked about, you know, parenting is huge. Parenting yes. is huge, right? And I think, I think we both think that sometimes there are parents that get in the way of a kid's progress because they're trying to hinder um, the environment or trying to, trying to fix the environment to make it safe for that person. Mm-hmm. But you don't learn by being in a safe environment always. Right. You know, you learn by being out there, putting yourself out there, being in situations where you might get smacked in the mouth. Or maybe it's as simple as losing, like something as simple as losing or competing against guys that are way better than you. Right. Like, how do you allow that to get you to be better? Because right. ultimately, that's that's the goal, right? We, we want to get better every single day. We want to figure out how we can maximize our abilities and be the best that we can be. Um, and so I think that's the things that you teach I really want to dive into this stuff with you because you do it every day. And as you've seen about being a trainer and and working with kids, you're passionate about it. Like that is, you feel like that's like, that's purposeful for you. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. Yeah. You said it. That's why you're here. That's why you want to do what you want to do. And so 
you know, what are things like that you have seen over the course of your X amount of years doing this? What enables kids to succeed versus maybe some that don't? That one's, let me, let me start by saying this. Um, nobody, nobody can predict the outcome of an athlete. You, you just can't do it. Mm-hmm. There have been first round draft picks that have washed out in the first season. Nobody saw that coming. There have been um, late, 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 late round draft picks that have become legends in their sport. Um, people that were cut from their team, you know, we've heard all the stories. Mm-hmm. And th- that's why we continue to watch 30 for 30 and other s- sports documentaries because they're stories that, like, it's not the same story over and over and over again. It's what did, what did, Bo Jackson overcome to get where he had to get. Did he have to overcome much or was he just a man child? Mm. Were there people like Michael Jordan who wasn't overly physically impressive, but he did things that will make him the icon of basketball forever. Mm-hmm. And there's no there we reason why we continue to watch because it's not a reoccurring sitcom. It's 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 unique to every person and you like you can start to look at all the adversity these people had to go through in their own different ways, whether they were secluded and out by themselves and had to learn to shoot and everything on their own. Mm-hmm. Like what was Tim Duncan's background compared to somebody who grew up in the city and in a, in a heavily populated basketball community Yeah, who, who made it there as well. And uh, one time we were driving, uh, we were on a road trip and there was a, a player on my team and um, he was right in his mouth. He's our point guard and he was always, Right in his mouth. He's kind of an idiot, but a uh, really good point guard, super fast, lightning, quick guy. Good guy to be in the trenches with, but not somebody I would hang out with. Kind mm-hmm. of punk. But um, we were, he was running his mouth on the gym, just ragging on people. I just ignore him because uh, I can't get into, I didn't like him as a person, so I couldn't get into it with him and that because that would affect us on the court. Mm-hmm. And so I just let him run his mouth. You know, it's harmless. And so, um, we were driving past an area that was like my uh, hometown area. We were driving past, and uh, he was making fun of how small my little area was. And he's like, that's it? I said, that's it? He said, we just drove past the whole thing? And I was like, yeah. That's it. We just, that's it. And uh, he's laughing, and they all started dogging on me because I came from a small school and small town and all this stuff. And, and I was like, Funny. We both ended up in the same place. Yeah. <laughs> we both wear the same jersey. Yeah. Mr. Big Time. He came out of Houston, Texas. Uh, big big metropolis type school setting. But, you know, here we are together. Yeah. You throwing me alley-oops and me ramming them home. <laughs> so it's not where you start, you know. It's like where you end up mm-hmm. and how you end up. And every story is different. And every story is different. And so when I... When I look at, when I have, now that I have something that can't be taken away from me, now that I have 20 plus years training athletes, there are some kids that came in and I was like, oh Lord, like every time I saw them and I had to get my game face on to work with them, but then they end up going to the NFL. Yeah. So speaking on that, maybe a better question. What are those qualities that are instilled in all those kids? What are those qualities that 
are kind of common patterns. That you here's, 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 this is a complicated answer, and here's how, here's how it works. Let's take one position in the NBA, and let's look at how many teams are in the NBA, and let's look at the starting athlete at that position. Does everybody in the NBA play that position the exact same way? Yeah, no. No. Has everybody in the NBA that's the starting power forward in the NBA right now on each team, have they not figured out their own recipe for playing that position to a level that allows them to be the starting power forward in the NBA? Yes. Every single athlete is unique and every single athlete has to figure out their own recipe. Mm. I have seen kids that you would never think that they were as good as they are. I have a little girl in my gym right now, and she's kind of awkward. She's very focused. And I just love like her tenacity because she's little, but she's so aggressive. She really gets after it in the workouts. And she's young. She's a little kid. And I, I went to watch one of her lacrosse games. When I saw the older kids, she's playing two years up. When I saw the older kids clearing the way, trying to get the ball to her because she's a playmaker, it blew my mind. Mm. And I knew just from training her in the gym, there was something there, but I couldn't see it just athletically. Mm. But she has figured out the recipe that makes her successful playing her sport. And... Every kid has to be able to do that. And so what we do is try to teach the foundational aspects of athleticism to the advanced, to the, um, to the elite, and let them express themselves the way they do it and the way they play the sport. Yeah, that's so good. Yes, and that, that's, that's why you can't predict based on what is presented to you what they're going to do. I've seen kids, I could talk about a kid right now that was one of the craziest, freakiest athletes I've ever seen, did not have it up here, to this day never did anything with his sport and could have done anything. He was a professional level athlete. The athletes that you see at those combines is what this kid could do. And he got it all mixed up up here mm. and it never became anything. So when I see people constantly putting into a kid because he's a crazy athlete and they're not they're not uh, focusing on the uh, the mental aspect of it he doesn't have the game figured out so he's not going to be successful mm -hmm. i've seen kids who have less athletic ability way less than he does that figure the game out how do they fit in that role how do they overcome the adversities with with what they've been given and how do they go move forward? I've seen kids that come into my gym as of right now that have unbelievable talent, no work ethic. And I find myself sometimes because it goes against my code, I, I'm conflicted because I want you to be successful because you're one of my kids and I love you. But I also want to see you get kicked in the mouth in your next meet mm -hmm. because you do not work hard in here. Yeah, I want you to learn that lesson and I want you to learn it the way that it's intended to be learned, the hard way. I want you to feel what that's like for you not to overcome your challenge. And then once you bring that back in the gym and get refocused, because I can't get you focused right now. Yeah. So there's, 
every athlete is playing a game of chess, and, and they're, they'll come up with their own strategy on how to win or lose. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> how important is hard work and work ethic? It's, that's the... I, when we look at work ethic and hard work, the, that, maybe that's the answer to your original question. Those kids, whether they have it or they don't, naturally. I believe 50% of what you got is genetic and the other 50% is the environment and what you do with it, how you figure out the environment. Mm. There's kids that have been eaten up by inner city, that they really could have been something, but the inner city overcame them. And there's been kids that that accelerated them like a rocket ship out of there. Mm. There's been kids that had no resources growing up in the country with nothing that didn't become anything. And then there's been kids that because they grew up there, they accelerated them out of there. Yeah. And so hard work has got to be the foundation of all these things. You've got to stay on the ground. You've got to show up. If you show up and you put in the work, then things are going to work out in your favor one way or another. I don't care what, if you don't make it as a, a, like a professional basketball player, <laughs> but it, it leads me to, it leads me to be uh, an outstanding or strive to be an outstanding performance specialist for developing athletes now. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for me, just being in, in the gym with you, working out with people that are more skilled than me, um, hopefully I was always competing to be better. You know what I mean? Right. And I think those are lessons that were instilled every day that you train. Correct. Outwork, outwork, outwork. No matter if you have super talent, little talent, outwork. And and hopefully that's translated today in my life, not just, you know, I didn't get to play high level. <clears throat> I wasn't superstar athlete, but I tried to work th- to be one. Right. Right. And so I think those those qualities translate and carry over into life as well. And also, too, to your point... It's interesting to note, like, let's just say, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of kids that have a lot, like their parents have a lot, they provide them, they provide them, they get to go to a place where they get to try to get better at being a better athlete, better person. And they don't, they just, they don't do anything with that. Right. You know, but there also are kids in that same environment that have a lot, their parents provide them with the opportunity, they take it and they use it. So... You know, is is that hard work? Is that the differing factor? Is it the focus? Is it tenacity? Is it, uh, you know, just consistency? One of the things that I've uh, come to terms with um, in 20-something years is not everybody that's in my gym is meant to be an athlete. And um, not saying that they can't be healthy and fit, but I see a lot of parents, and, and we look at the umpteen million kids that are in the United States, and then the vast majority of them are playing some type of sport. Um, sports is a part of American culture. It's, it's a part of our culture, uh, sports in general. And we, we like to compete. We like to get out on the field and on the court, and we like to compete. And we, we, we continue that through the generations with our offspring we let them come up and compete when we can't compete anymore we just keep pushing it and keep going and going then we go watch our our grandkids until we can't watch our grandkids anymore you know yeah. we just it's a part of our culture and so i feel as though um not everybody who walks onto the court um not everybody who uh comes onto the field or comes into the gym is actually supposed to be 
an elite level athlete mm-hmm. that's just because you're there it doesn't mean that you're not putting in your best work towards your current endeavors there's a lot more to be learned other than the end result being i played it five years in the in the nfl yeah there's a lot more to to be gained from that I compete against guys all the time. I've been 23 years in my community working with athletes. I got some kid who barely made it out of high school, went and played um, college ball, went to the NFL for two years, got released, comes back into town, his hometown where he's safe, running sports performance programs, no formal education whatsoever, mm-hmm. and parents lining up to get their kid in front of that guy because he was in the NFL for two years. Mm-hmm. Has absolutely no formal training whatsoever working with kids. Yeah, He just recently was a kid who had enough talent to survive and get himself up to the NFL. And just because you played in the NFL or the NBA does not mean you're a great coach. And that's the one thing that is... It is mistaken a lot. We mm-hmm. we are searching down pro uh, athletes and trying to teach them, uh, have them teach our kids like that's the way to go about it. it. There's nothing really that a professional can teach a nine-year-old. Now, there's a lot that I can teach a nine-year-old in the, my cognitive plan and, and my uh, foundational uh, program. There's a tremendous amount that I can teach a nine-year-old. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with playing for the Jets. Yeah, and some of the <laughs> some of the best coaches never played. Right. You know, they didn't get to play at a high level, but they are some of the best coaches because they have that passion and purpose behind what they're doing, and they care, and they, they want to study and, and learn as much as they can, and they want to make an impact in the kids that they coach. And so that's a big key to it. And I want to I go into what you're talking about a little bit. You know, you've kind of started to identify, like kind of talk about your – your kind of uh, your plan as you think about helping grow a young kid athletically, cognitively. We have um, what we call windows of windows of opportunity mm-hmm. that uh, the kids are growing through stages, and that's what I study. So um, a great, I think it was Napoleon Hill. He was uh, one of the world's first, you know, thought leaders. Yeah, think yeah. and grow rich. Think and grow rich and all that. Yeah. Uh, one time in one of his lectures, he made a comment um, about "think and go rich" right there. Yep. Right but he made a comment about um, um, the laws of nature, and he says, "If you go up against Mother Nature, buddy, you're going to lose." And the simple fact of the matter is, there's this concept that a lot of parents think that they can microwave their athletes into this super athlete if they just put in the work or you can be anything you want if you just put in the work you can it's like well it's it's actually a lot more complicated than that Mm -hmm. and there's a reason why there's less than you know one percent that are playing at that elite level yeah and um the vast majority of them don't have it but everybody thinks when it's their kid that they they could have it and i'm not here to discourage that as long as the work reflects the goals if the work that the kids are putting in reflects what their goals are, then I'm with you 100%. But if your work doesn't reflect it, I'm not really on the same page as, as where you are. Yeah. My intensity doesn't match yours, so I don't know uh, which direction we're going. And that's that's all up to the athlete. Mm. And so um, I developed a program uh, that starts at 6 
and we have our basically our, our cognitive design. Now, here's a big point that I'm trying to drive home. So you got a guy who played three years with the with the Dolphins, and now he's back home, and and now you he's he's doing youth football camps, and the line is out the door. Parents are lining up trying to throw money at this guy. To, so that they, that their kid can be in front of this guy who played for the Dolphins. Don't know anything else about him. Mm-hmm. This he just he was he was he's got to be some kind of a great coach because he is able to make it to the to the NFL. Okay, let's just leave it at that. So we basically put give people credit that hasn't been earned, and we also put kids in situations that they're not conducive to learn in. So that's you have credit over here hasn't been earned. You got a kid over here is in a bad he's in a bad situation. He just knows that you're standing out here wearing your dolphins gear and you must know something. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. If you take this guy uh, or uh, the athletes that are six to nine years old and they're entering into a training environment and they want to play football, mm-hmm. they just haven't yet, but they want to. Cognitively, what do they have to associate football with? What they see on TV? Mm-hmm. They don't know what that feels like. They don't know what it feels like to put pads on. They don't know what it feels like to wear a helmet. They don't know what any of that stuff means, right? So at that stage, shouldn't we have people that are more in line with giving them football experience? Like the experience of football? Mm-hmm. Putting pads on, wearing a helmet, playing with your friends. Shouldn't they be doing that? Because in my next stage of development, now I'm thinking from the associative mindset, and what we're teaching here has an association with what they learned over here. Because over here, they have no experience. Mm -hmm. I have six-year-olds and five-year-olds that join my classes all the time. They have no clue what training is like, structured training. There's no clue. They went to the trampoline park. They wrestle with dad. uh, They go on walks with mom. uh, You know, they, they do basic move around, fundamental, healthy lifestyle stuff with their parents. We ride bikes together, that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. They've never been in front of the six foot six, 290-pound tattooed coach pace with the, the training system that's in line. They don't know what that's like. So I, I teach them from a cognitive mindset. I have the best grasp on that, so I tend to teach more of our younger athletes. People think when they come into my facility – and they start working for me, that I'm never going to let them train the elite athletes. My elite athletes have been with me for 10 years. They've come through my program. Mm-hmm. I need you to babysit them because he has a worksheet. He needs to, you need to make sure he doesn't hurt his back on deadlifts. You need to make sure he's doing all their, their functional movement stuff correctly. That's where you need to be. Over here with this five-year-old who doesn't know anything, he needs to be with the master chief. That's me. So I put him <laughs> in, my, in my area. And I teach those kids, and I need my, everybody wants to train elite athletes. I always ask trainers, what do you want to do? I want to train elite athletes. What is it that you know from your vast experience that some guy who's getting recruited in the first round needs to know? What is it that you know that he needs to know? Because no no one can ever answer me that. Mm -hmm. There's a problem out there, but you don't know, you don't have the answers to solve it. So he needs somebody who has associative abilities. I can associate several different things working with professional athletes all the way down to five-year-olds. I'm the master trainer. 
I have a vast knowledge of associations up here. That's what we do in stage two with our kids. And then we go to our uh, autonomic stage of development. In that stage, we should have fewer errors. They have rehearsed this over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. We start throwing in the technical uh, aspects. We move from the technical aspects of playing to the tactical aspects. This is what you need to do when this happens. This is what you need to do when this happens. This is how you need to lift during this time of season. This is how you need to condition during this part of the season. This is how you need to eat before a game. That happens at that 14 to 18 year old age. Parents love the intensity and the depth of the program there. And they want me to teach their five-year-old that who has no cognitive ability to associate with anything. Yeah. That's what people don't understand about training. You go in there, you have, I had, I had a, a young man, he was doing a, and I don't, I don't do basketball lessons, and, but he trains with me, and then he was on the court, and he was doing a basketball lesson. He can barely, he's uncoordinated. Yeah. And there was an extremely athletic maneuver that I'm aware of, um, because of basketball, that the coach was teaching him. And so, and the, when the lesson was over, I walked over to him, and I said, dude, that kid can barely walk and chew gum at the same time. Um, we're working heavily on his coordination. Most of our training is towards him being coordinated because he's going to be massive. He's going to be maybe close to seven foot. This kid is huge for a little kid, so he needs to focus a lot on coordination. Why are you not mastering and refining the fundamentals of dribbling and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's all this complicated Euro step stuff you're doing? The trainer looked at me and said, if I don't do like, the fancy stuff, the parents won't pay for it. I said, no, if you don't make the kid better, the parents will stop paying for it. And that's what people are running the risk on. You're you're risking um, your your values to entertain people with your exercise. I call it exertaining people. I'm not going to exertain you. I'm here to teach you something. Yeah, it's, it's not as flashy. Right. If I don't do the flashy stuff, people, that's what he said. If I don't do the flashy stuff, the parents won't pay. <laughs> but for in order for an athlete to be able to do the flashy stuff, he's got to have foundations first, right? Correct. Yeah. But nobody wants to see it pay good money for somebody to teach their kids the foundation yeah. and fundamentals when that's what makes them hold hold their skills. Mm-hmm. Athletic ability is the vehicle in which your athletic skills can travel. If that vehicle is weak, it's not going to travel far. You're not going to be able to go far with it. So that's why we we, uh, focus our... We we want to make... I want to create athletes. I want them to be so good athletically and so in tune with that other body works that if they decide to switch sports in their junior year, they could do that. Yeah. And people want the results without the work. Kind of that microwave mentality. Right. I tell, uh, one of my quotes is, and I tell the parents this, hey, relax. Just relax. I tell them, relax, because they're always freaking out about the season or whatever. I said, listen, invest in your child's future, not just their season. You need to be looking beyond this tryout next week. You need to be looking beyond that. Hmm. And, um... If they've done their work during, just like in school, if you've done 
your work and kept up with your work, you shouldn't be freaking out about the test at the end. Yeah. If you've done the work leading up to it. Well, everybody's freaking out. That's one thing I never understood. I told you I never was like a freak out athlete when I was or, uh, a student. Well, because I always went to, to class and I did my work and I took my notes. So when it was test time, I was like, well, if I did all this work previous to this, then I should do okay on the test. Mm-hmm. Which is seems like that's the way it should be. But no, everybody's cramming like crazy towards the end. And I was like, well, that's because you didn't do the work leading up to the test. Yeah. And, and that mindset, let's just say academically before a test, if you've prepared and you've had all the preparation, you're ready for the test, you're not, you're not as stressed, you're more confident. Whereas if you haven't, you're cramming, you get that test. Because yeah. I've crammed before. Right. <laughs> you get to the test and you're stressed. You're like, oh man, I don't know how it's going to go. Exactly. You know, it's not a good place to be in. But the preparation aspect of training, and not just training, but in life, whenever, anytime you prepare for something... It's not uh, arrogance. You have confidence. And how important is confidence? You know? So, yeah, that's, that's okay. That's huge. Yeah. And um, here, here's... In the, and how do you develop confidence? Two, two questions. Okay. I, I want to I see what you That think is about. exactly in line. Now, now we're getting to the point where I'm repeating myself, but I'm repeating myself because it, the, the circle is closing. And so, in the movie, uh, Man on Fire, Denzel Washington, one of my favorite actors of all time. Him and Stallone, by the way. Okay. <laughs> so, Man on Fire, uh, when he finally has a little breakthrough with the little girl and they, and they start to bond a little bit, he finds out that she's interested in swimming and he notices that she's a strong swimmer, and she, but she's losing. And there's a little conversation. uh says, uh, you're a strong swimmer. She goes, I never win. He says, um, you're the last one. So you're a strong swimmer, but you're the last one. What do you need to do? And she goes, I need to get I need to get faster off the blocks. You're the fastest one in the water, you're the last one off the blocks. What do you need to do? He's giving her structure. She goes, I need to be faster off the blocks. So he then there's you know the uh, montage of him training her and working with her. Then she has an event. Um and uh or before she has her event, that he's he's improving her time in her personal pool. Mm-hmm. So she beats her time and she gets out and she goes, I'm tough, Creasy. He says, no such thing as tough. There's trained and there's untrained. Which one are you? Mm. She goes, I'm trained. You know, and then she goes to the next part. And then she is one of my absolute favorite scenes in a movie where she wins the race. And, and he's trying to be, you know, tough CIA special agent bodyguard guy. And the little girl jumps out of the pool and runs at him. And her little run makes me cry almost every time. Yeah. And I... It just gets my. It gives me a lump in my throat. I watch that over and over again because it reminds me of what I'm trying to do mm. and how I can be a, a a a productive member in this village that's helping to raise kids, mm. a mentor to help raise these kids, and to be a positive influence and, and take what I know and give that to them as well. And so, um, to uh, develop that tenacity and all those things is, uh, I, I like to say, the, the, the discipline is in the method. So if you can stay the course and you stay on the method, then what happens is the more and more that you, the more and more that you, I had a funny thought and I'm, I'm going to talk about it, but. Okay. I saw, okay. I, once I saw, I've learned life lessons my whole life, so little things have a weird effect on me. 
And we were wrestling around. So when I was growing up, it was a rough and tumble life. So all the cousins, we beat the snot out of each other all the time. It was mm-hmm. it was a thing. And um, I remember uh, the family used to go outside, and all the elders would be there, and they'd make a big circle, and we'd have everybody would sit around and talk to each other. It was a big circle. And we don't do that, and we haven't done that in a long time, but I missed that when I was a kid. And every once in a while, an uncle or an older cousin or somebody would get up, Starts doing the shoulders and like stretching out a little bit. And he goes, all right, this year it's me. And as soon as we'd see one of these guys get up and stand in the middle, um, all the kids would start getting real giddy because that means we were going to attack him. Yeah. And so he would be like a full-grown man, you know, but we were kids. And so he, and it, we never knew who was going to do it every year. Yeah. And so he'd get up and we'd run in and we'd fight, you know, and he'd just be knocking us down, knocking us down. And we're trying to, we're trying to get our uncle knocked down or, or our big cousin trying to get him knocked down or something. Well, I saw this one time, uh, all the kids were kind of worn out and he's like, anybody else, anybody else? And then there's like one little guy and, uh, he was like, no, 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 no. He had no confidence to go in by himself. And there was like, everybody's like, get him, get him. And he's like, no, no. And then one of the elders had like a plastic wiffle ball bat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and had it to him and said, here, here, go get him. And give him that wiffle ball back. And whenever he got that, his eyes. <laughs> so here he comes. You know, he's, ah, yeah. you know. And so he's swinging his bat because his confidence went up. Why? So because you gave him a tool. Now he has tools in his confidence. Right? Man, so so I start the kids when they're little. And I help them to master all the tools. Be masters of those tools in that frame framework. And then move to the next framework. So as you are prepared, as you go, your confidence level goes up. So the discipline is inside the method. And if they could stay the course and follow that method, then they can build confidence as they go. Mm-hmm. Whenever he got that tool or that wiffle ball bat in his hand, he thought he was a lot tougher than he actually was. But he attacked. He was willing to attack because now I got something that I can use. The tool, he yeah. had the confidence in the tool. And yeah. so if we if we let them develop over time and not put them in situations where they're constantly getting smashed because we didn't develop them properly. When I see a team getting blown out, somebody didn't do something right in the developmental process. Like the two boys that ran into each other. How did they handle that conflict? What do they do? What are they what does what decisions are they gonna make now? And when somebody comes out on a court and everybody's done it and you realize these guys are outgunning us, what do we do different? Do we just keep playing like we used to, or do we bob and weave? Do we find try to do something different? Mm-hmm. So confidence is going to be developed through a process of testing it, bending them without breaking them, mm. bending them over and over again, making them stronger and stronger, making them bend but not break. And like confidence, you're giving them the tool, and as they move forward, they gain more confidence. But they also understand it's not just what's in their hands, but it's what's inside them too. Right, right. And that's a process of understanding themselves, becoming better, working hard, being tenacious, and sticking to the process. Right. So there's a just made me think of this idea. There's a little little meme that's going around that have you ever seen it where there's a it's UCLA basketball where there's this guy putting his head down I'm talking about body language, but he's putting his head down. I don't know what had happened. And there's a teammate that came in and, and grabbed him, puts his head up, grabs him by the chin, puts his head up. 
And it's funny because I saw that meme going around. Everyone shares it. I got to work with that kid at USA Basketball. Yeah. Back in, I don't know, maybe it was 2016, 15. Just to be around for a couple weeks. And if you would have told me that like that kid would have been the one putting someone else's head up, I'd be like, I don't know. When I saw <laughs> yeah. it, I was like, that doesn't remind me of the same kid. Right. And I don't think he actually made the team. He got cut. So we all battle through adversity. And it's what we learn through the process that enables us to change and adapt and to bend. So when I think of like body language and, and how that kid was helping his teammate pick his head up, well, yeah, he may not have picked his head up in a, in a future or a past experience, but he learned from it and right. was able to help his teammates pick their head up. And now it was his time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just this process of going through adversity, learning from it, gaining confidence in yourself, and then helping others at the end. Right. Um, and so that's what I think you do a fantastic job of. We, you know, we need to, we need to close it up here, but, um, you know, we didn't even get into your experiences of, you played semi-pro football for a quick sec, yeah. right? Um, you then you you went and coached some national teams out in uh, or was it Paraguay? Paraguay yeah. with the Paraguay and coached national teams. So love to get into that stuff, but want to want to respect your time. But more importantly, I just want to say thank you for doing what you do. I think anyone that listens to the show can see how God has worked in your life, and He's given you a distinct design and purpose to want to help young kids not just become better athletes but better people and like you absolutely get get passionate about that like if you don't see that i don't know you're blind or whatnot but um thanks for doing that because i'm one of the the kids who got a chance to to be around that and so one thing i do want to actually add to it is you teach all this stuff and it matters but not only that but you actually care for the kids that are there like whenever we were I was over at your office probably you know a month two months ago, and I hadn't been in a while, and I was in the your office. We're talking for a long time. We had this little girl come in, and this is just one of the thousands of cases. I mean, right. you coached thousands and thousands of athletes. You coached a ton that have gone on to play professional, but there's a lot that haven't either. And you care about each one of them uniquely. Um, she came in and she said, "Coach Pace, uh, I've got a, I've got a soccer tournament this weekend, and I'm playing at this time, this Softball. time, this time. Softball, okay, yeah. one of those things." And you said, okay. And your mom was coming to town. So you got you called and said, let's see what my mom says and let's figure out if I can go to your game. <laughs> yeah. So you brought your mom and put her on speaker and you said, mom, what do you think about me going to so-and-so's <laughs> game? And so you worked it out. And I think it was so cool to watch that girl, uh, her eyes lit up because she knew that you were going to be at the game, right? right? And I remember being a young athlete and whenever you showed up at my games, it was like, he's it was here. exciting. He's here. He cares. And so that makes a, a, a tremendous impact on a young person growing up. And there's lots of things I can attribute to my overall development from from working with you. And I just thank you for, for being that to so many kids and being a positive influence because we need we need way more positive influence, especially on kids at a young age and at, a, at an older age too. But thanks for doing that. If someone wants to learn more about what you do or reach out to you, is there a way to contact you or follow you on social media? Yeah, I'm uh, my website's... Uh, thesportsarmory.com and uh, my email is pace at thesportsarmory.com and then we're on the um, Instagram and, and Facebook the Sports Armory or Coach Pace or at Coach Pace I, I want to thank you for bringing me in for this um, uh, I don't care for social media I don't care for a lot of negativity and I find there, there's a lot of it out there so I appreciate you being 
uh, positive light in that um, arena. And I have um, lacked or neglected becoming a social media uh, uh, personality uh, yeah. because it's not my world. Uh, my world is um, intimate. It's there with the kids. It's in the gym. It's on the floor. So we're we're starting to reach out and we're we're pushing some things out there now. And I'm going to start doing more of this. Yeah. Uh, this was practice for me to get started. Uh, there's a podcast that I want to put together, and I'll be bringing my athletes back to talk about their experiences from their viewpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, not just listen to me talk. Um, I love hearing myself talk. So I don't know why I haven't done it yet, but. Um, <laughs> It's just a process of me growing into the next stage in the digital era is it's going to be worth it and i have to do yeah. it for them so that we can reach more kids and uh do more things in this particular industry yeah same for me i mean so, i'm not super big on social media but this is a way that uh i i hope that i can be a positive influence just as you can so it's like you can either look at it as a negative or a positive Right. But if you put yourself out there, see what happens, you can help people. So hopefully that's Absolutely. what this is. Real quickly before we go, how would you define building excellence? What does that mean to you? Show up and do the work. And there's no shortcuts. If you show up and do the work, that's what, that's what champions do. You're going to end up on the right side of something. So just show up and do the work. Show up and do the work. Awesome. Pace, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, buddy. Good to see you. Hey everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. Now, if you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.